Welcome to Bullhorn Bible Study. This lesson, we are looking at Jesus's words in Matthew 7, 1, which are, Judge not, lest ye be judged, as they say in the good old King James translation. And this is actually quoted correctly and means exactly what you think it means. But at the same time, probably not. Confused? I get it. Let's take a closer look and see if we can't figure it out together. This verse is a bit like an iceberg. You can see it, identify it, and at the same time, it goes way deeper than you can see with the human eye, and it requires a closer look. And Jesus is happy to help. These words from Matthew 7 are still within the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember from our previous study on eye for an eye, the Sermon on the Mount happens fairly early in Jesus's public ministry, but he'd already started to develop a bit of a following because he'd been walking from town to town, proclaiming the good news and healing people. And so he was beginning to get this crowd that was following him from place to place. I always picture the the scene in Forrest Gump where Forrest Gump is running across country because he's lost Jenny and people keep like, people, more and more people start to follow, that's, follow him. That's what I picture. I mean, except it's Jesus and not Tom Hanks and much bigger, but you know what I mean? So crowds are starting to follow him because what he's saying is they, they are sensing the truth in his words and so they're following him to hear more. The Sermon on the Mount begins with Jesus seeing the crowds of people who are following him, and then he goes up onto a mountainside. The Bible tells us that his disciples came to him and he began to teach. But it wasn't a private event for only a select few. The Bible goes on to say that by the end of the sermon, there are large crowds around. So it sounds a lot like Jesus was willing to teach anyone who was willing to make the effort to listen, which I think is really interesting and probably appropriate for us today. This is Jesus's manifesto. He's laying out exactly what he came to do and what he expects the impact to be. Quite honestly, it's long and it covers a whole lot of ground. I kind of wonder what it was like for the people who were listening to Jesus on that mountainside. It makes me think of my own church and listening to the Sunday sermon with my pastor. He, he talks really fast and he's got a lot of good content. And so on Sundays, I, I find myself every once in a while, it happens, you know, I get distracted or I zone out, but it's okay because every time I'm able to bring my focus back, there's another treasure for me to, to discover. That's because my pastor doesn't just, is not just saying things to lead up to one main point at the end. He is just, he's dropping truth throughout. And this is what Jesus was doing with the Sermon on the Mount, except, you know, it's Jesus. So he's just dropping these truth bombs left and right and these profound things. So even if people were tuning out occasionally or getting distracted because their kids are running around or their phone rings. Okay, their phone doesn't ring, but they get a message on their phone. Okay, they don't have messages, but you know what I mean. If they got distracted, it would be okay because they would still be able to go back and pick up all these treasures. Not only that, but we have Matthew who is writing all of these things down so we can come back and look at them later. I'm so glad he did because in doing so, he does what we cannot. He shows us the whole iceberg. Let's take a look. It starts with, do not judge or you too will be judged. 
This is what we can easily see. And it means exactly what you think it does. We don't need to go look at the Greek translation or go back further and look at the root words in Hebrew which informed the Greek translation. It is what it is. To judge someone's means to decide or come to a conclusion about something or someone. In this verse, Jesus is saying, it's not up to you to decide who a person is or whether they're right or wrong or in or out. And so up to this point in time, we're probably all on the same page about that, or we should be. But this is where people full stop. And like the Titanic, if you're not paying attention to what's actually underneath the surface of this one, you're going to crash into it. And there are two ways that you can crash into the truth of this verse. The first is to live like there isn't any more to this verse. There is nothing below the surface. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. Therefore, we can live how we want. Only judge. God can judge me. And God is love. Just do you. This can be wrongly used as a free pass to avoid accountability or any conviction of wrongdoing. But that is clearly not what the Bible is about. Just look at our study on eye for an eye when we, we looked at the Old Testament laws and why God gave us the laws. He gave them to us so that we would be able to see what was wrong and move towards what is right. There are definitely things that are holy and not holy. And anything that is not holy is wrong and not what we were created for. Not only that, but there is clearly space for accountability between God's people. Just look at this verse from Galatians 6.1, which says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Or this one from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But there is a difference between rebuking and judgment. Judgment means to make a decision about someone or something. Rebuking means to check them. It's a difference between saying, you're going to hell because of this or that, or, hey, I don't think that the path you are on right now is going to lead you to God. And even rebuking must be used very carefully and cautiously. The verses that I cited earlier were actually meant and directed towards people who are brothers and sisters in Christ, which mean towards people who had accepted Jesus as their Savior and were following him as Lord. There is a place for conversations about wrongs with brothers and sisters in Christ, but they must be done well within the lines of love that Jesus drew for us. Jesus knew his people. He loved them and he accepted them as they were. So if you're thinking about bringing something to someone else's attention, you better be darn sure that you know them, that you love them and accept them as they are before you consider speaking. On the other hand, you darn well better say something if you're in position to do so. We need each other to point out the ick in our lives sometimes because we are often too close to see it. 
It's like having a piece of food stuck in your teeth. And if no one tells you, you're gonna walk around all day with that thing all up in there. And you're gonna be talking and smiling. And all the while people are like, but nobody says anything. And then you get home at the end of the day and you look in the mirror and then you're like, how long has that been there? And you're all embarrassed. It's the same thing with the ick in our lives. If someone doesn't point it out to us, we're gonna carry it on for much longer than we need to and then we're gonna be even more embarrassed and it could even lead to shame. That's why we need each other to lovingly and gently point it out. And just like telling somebody they have something stuck in their teeth, it's not easy to do. It's awkward and uncomfortable and sometimes it's not received well. I mean, usually people don't mind, they're grateful when you tell them you've got something in your teeth, but you, they always, they feel a little weird about it, as do you. It's the same thing with having to point something out to someone, but there's a huge difference in the way you do it. If you are able to do it in a way that's loving and kind and respectful and not judgy, if you're able to gently say, hey, I don't know if you, have noticed this, but here's this thing in your life that I don't think is leading you down a path to joy. The second way that we can crash into the truth of this verse is by thinking that we are not even in the water. This is actually the heart of what Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 7. Let's look at what it says right after verse 1. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Is it me? Or do you think Jesus is kind of showing a little bit of a sense of humor here? Like, it's just such a ridiculous picture to think of someone walking around with a plank in their eye. But Jesus is saying it's just as ridiculous to assume that you don't have anything unholy or that's not pleasing to God in your life. He's basically saying stop trying to deflect and own your ish. I see this in my daughters all the time. Literally, just now, I went into the bathroom where my girls are taking a bath and there was water all over the floor, which is one of my parenting hotspots. You know, the things that like instantly just make your like your blood boil. So I walk in there and there's water all over the floor and I start thundering, who got the water all over the floor? And before I could even finish getting the words out, my older daughter, Emma, was like, but Holly did this, da 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 ah, You see what she did there? She's deflecting to her little sister in hopes that I won't notice that she's actually the one who got the water all over the floor. So much of what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount begins with an internal movement. If our hearts and souls are not engaged and present to the transformational love of Jesus, we're not gonna be able to have any kind of impact on this world, except maybe just to add to the chaos of sin already here. Now, there are a few rare people who seem to naturally be able to do this, but the rest of us are just selfish, broken people bumping along and bumping into others as we're trying to figure out how to make it through this life, whether we admit it or not. And Jesus's words in Matthew 7 are no different. 
He is teaching those who cared to listen, both present on that mountainside that day and those of us who came later who are reading his words, that he was teaching us that we have a role to play in this world, but it can only be done through the humility of a life submitted to God. He ends this lesson with an important reminder. It's like the exclamation point to make sure we're still paying attention and our minds haven't wandered off to wondering what's for dinner. Matthew 7, 6 says this, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The language here is strong. He's making sure he has our attention. But the point he's making is actually loving and respectful. What would a dog do with something that was sacred? Would they recognize it and honor it? Or a pig being given pearls, would they appreciate the value and beauty? No. And so Jesus is saying, don't waste your breath trying to rebuke someone who's not going to receive it or recognize it for what it is. Our best chance of avoiding that situation is to only step into those kind of conversations with people whom we know well and that we love and accept them as they are and that they know that. We must earn the right to have any conversations about wrongs by first paying attention and checking our own hearts and then making sure we have created safe space by loving and accepting those around us. This is rebuking along the lines of love that Jesus gave us. And while judgment is not a part of our responsibility, it does have a place in our lives and in the Bible. And I wanna end with a look at that. First, let's take a peek at Psalm 75, seven. But God is the judge. You'll find many verses like this throughout the Bible. We are told over and over again that God is the judge, the only one to say who's right or wrong or in or out. And do you know what he did with that? He gave us his son, Jesus, to show us the way. And this is what that looks like. John 8, 1 through 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. These teachers and Pharisees were doing the same thing that my daughter was doing when she was taking a bath and what a lot of humans do. They were trying to deflect from their own sin and try to draw attention to someone else in the hopes that what was going on in their lives would not be noticed. But Jesus wasn't having it. So here is this woman caught in the act of adultery and brought before this crowd, which 
Forgive me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it take two people to be caught in adultery? Doesn't it? I don't think she was caught in adultery by herself. And yet she is the only one who's being brought out and publicly shamed, which is a pretty good indication if we needed another one that this was not done out of a place of loving rebuke. First, he bends down and writes on the ground. We don't know what he writes and the fact that we aren't told means it's not important. But what is important about it is why he's doing it. Where is everyone's attention when Jesus responds to the questioning from the Pharisees about what he's going to do about it? Where is their attention when he leans down to write on the ground? It's no longer on the woman. The attention is now on Jesus. See, Jesus did the opposite of what we do. He wasn't deflecting. He was actually bringing the focus and the attention away from this poor woman and placing it on himself. Then he gently, but oh so powerfully, reminded those who were present that they were not in any position to judge this woman because they were in the same boat. And the only one who could judge, that would be Jesus. And what did he do? Woman, he said, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Adultery is wrong. It's not what God has for us. And Jesus was the only one who could have condemned her for her actions. But he didn't. Instead, he took the focus on himself and just a short time later would take her sin and my sin and your sin upon himself and die with it on the cross so that we would not be condemned and that we would be free to live in the grace he provides. Our role in this is to acknowledge the ick within our own hearts and lives, to give it to Jesus, to accept his forgiveness, and then to point other people towards the grace that we ourselves have received. My name is Jody Swee. This has been Bullhorn Bible Study. We'll see you next.